0: Hey, my name is Zach, I wanna welcome you to church this morning, I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, It is Easter Sunday, it is Resurrection Sunday. growing up in Texas, as a kid, Easter meant a large number of things to me. I I knew it was a religious holiday, but wasn't too sure of kind of why it was so important. I did know that on Easter, you had an Easter egg hunt, uh, and I like candy. And so I look forward to those Easter egg hunts. My favorite candy was the Cadbury egg. Anybody a Cadbury egg fan? We got a few. The candy that I tried to avoid, like if I saw it in the egg, I would put the egg back, were those peeps, the little marshmallow thing. Now, we had some peep fans in the first service. Any peep fans? Just be bold. Just thought, okay, okay, we got some peep fans. Okay, great. Some of the Easter eggs would have coins in them. That was exciting. I think one year Easter was around Earth Day, and so my school kind of celebrated them together, and I was like, that, that's cool. It's like springtime, you know. Uh, But the real meaning of Easter, the reason why we celebrate Easter, is the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so for thousands of years, when the church has gathered together on this day, the the pastor, the preacher, the father, the reverend, whatever the, the title is, has said, He is risen. And the church has responded, he is risen indeed. And so I'm going to say that to you, and I want you to respond it back to me as we just join in with this ancient tradition. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Okay, now if you'll turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 9, you know we've been studying through the gospel of Luke, and I love the text that we're on today. Uh, it speaks a lot about the resurrection of Jesus and the meaning thereof. We're going to be in Luke chapter 9, verse 28. If you need a Bible, uh, they are in the pew, and the rack, and the seat in front of you. You can take one if you don't have one. Yes. If you you missed last week, you know, we have got those. It's a big deal. Uh, You can take those with you if you would like. Um, If you need a Bible at home or whatnot, uh, we're reading out of the NIV version, New International Version, if you're on your Bible app and you're trying to figure out where I'm reading from. Luke 9, 28. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up on a mountain to pray. So, Peter, John, and James, of course, some of the most famous disciples, Jesus takes them up on a mountain to pray. And as Jesus was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. If you remember Moses from the Old Testament and Elijah, Moses, the, the great leader of the people of God through the Exodus, and Elijah, the great leader of the prophets of God. Moses and Elijah are there, and they're speaking with him. They're in the glorious splendor. And this is what they were speaking about, verse 31. They spoke about his departure which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. I just want you to put your, your finger right there on verse 31. That's where we're going to be in just a moment. 32, Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory, Jesus' glory, and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. In parentheses, he did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, speaking of Jesus, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves, and they did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. Now, this is a well-loved story from the Gospels, and there's so much here. I have a particular Bible commentary that I really like, and on most stories, the author gives kind of two pages of explanation. In this story, I believe he gave 30 pages of explanation. There's just so much here, and there's so many things we could talk about. We could talk about Jesus taking his disciples up onto a mountain to pray. And mountains being a place throughout the scripture where people encountered God. And we could talk about how we can encounter God in Jesus. We could do that. We could talk about Jesus' face transforming or being transfigured in front of them. And revealing his glory to them. We could talk about the glory of Jesus. That would be an incredible uh, time together. We could talk about Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets and how they're pointing to Jesus and how all of Scripture, law, prophets, points to Jesus. We could talk about that. We could talk about what was Peter thinking when he's saying this stuff, but you can see the glory of Jesus there. We could continue on that thing. Uh, we could talk about what was Peter meaning by putting up the shelters and what's going on there. There's so many things we could talk about. We could talk about the Father speaking over the Son. This is my chosen Son. The word in the Greek there means precious. The Son is precious to the Father. And we could talk about God's love for Jesus, and that would just be amazing. We could talk about how we're told to listen to Jesus and the importance of living a life of obeying Jesus. And we could do all those things, but what I want us to do in our time together is to focus on verse 31. And I'll explain to you why in just a moment, because it's very fitting for Resurrection Sunday. They, being Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, spoke about his departure which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Now you know the English Bible that we have is a translation of the original languages, and so translators are trying to uh, approximate and put in the best terms for us what was originally said in the original manuscripts. But I actually think that the word from the original manuscript is most helpful for understanding what's going on here. Because it wasn't just his departure that they, talk, that they were talking about. The, the, the word underneath there, the word that it's translated from, Is exodus they were talking with Jesus about his exodus now when you hear that word exodus you're like oh I I, that's that's a familiar word at some level right it's a book of the Bible it describes a central story in the scripture about how God redeemed his people out of slavery If you're a little bit rusty on that, here's the deal. That God's people were in slavery in Egypt. They had been in slavery for 400 years. It was a brutal slavery that had lasted generation upon generation. And in their despair, they cried out to God and God raised up a deliverer, Moses, who we're reading about here, Moses. And God worked through Moses and there's this showdown between Moses and Pharaoh Between the God of Moses and the gods of Pharaoh, there's a battle. Moses prevails. Moses' God prevails, and so his people are set free from slavery. They're delivered from slavery. They're brought out of Egypt, and they're brought into a destiny. They're brought into a promised land. They're brought into a purpose. When you hear Exodus, you're thinking deliverance, and you're thinking destiny. All around a battle. And this battle was so significant, this event was so significant in the lives of God's people that each year they would remember the Exodus. They would celebrate what God had done. And even though they might live hundreds of years or even thousands of years down the road, they would realize that this was part of their story, that God had been working in all of their lives to bring them on Exodus, Moses being the leader of the Exodus, but what I want to point out to you here is they're not talking about Moses's Exodus. They're not reminiscing. I have some high school buddies that we played sports together, and when we get together every now and then on a text stream, someone will make an obscure reference to something we experienced in high school, and we'll all laugh. We were reminiscing about the days of old. They're not reminiscing. With Moses about, man, remember when you went up against Pharaoh and you took him down? That was so cool. They're not doing that. They're not referencing that exodus. They're referencing the exodus of Jesus. Jesus was going to perform an exodus. That exodus was going to be fulfilled in Jerusalem, the place of his crucifixion and his resurrection. And what the scriptures are speaking to here, the reason the word is chosen, and and the scripture would later go on to expound on it, is that one of the ways that we can understand what's so important about the resurrection of Jesus is that we can understand it in terms of Jesus's exodus, that he was about to fulfill in Jerusalem, his death and his resurrection. Now, the exodus of Moses was very important it got the Israelites out of Egypt, out from under Pharaoh. It brought them into a new place. But as important as it was, it was incomplete. It was incomplete, and here's why. Because they were brought out of Egypt. They got out of Egypt. But as you read their story, Egypt did not get out of them. They were out of Egypt Egypt was still very much alive and well inside of them. Though their zip code and their geography and maybe their passport changed, who they were on the inside did not change. And so they found themselves, though they were in a new situation, going back into the same slavery that they had been in. They needed more than just a geography change. So many of us, we think like with our, with our jobs, oh man, if I could just get a new job, then I would have arrived. Or uh, if I could just get into this school or this fraternity or sorority or this team, then I would have arrived. If I could just get this new car or my pay be this level or, or I get a new girlfriend or boyfriend or if I could just get a new spouse or a new kid, <laughs> Oh, oh, come on. Or a new kid, right? Then, 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 oh, I would have arrived. We just think in terms of geography change. But what I hope you're seeing and what I hope you realize, and you probably know people who have changed from one geography to another thinking that was going to solve all their problems. I remember being in marriage counseling, one guy and a guy was talking about leaving his wife. I was like, you're just going to get in another relationship and you're going to bring the same problems from this relationship into that relationship, because, buddy, the problems in this particular case are in you. And I love you, and I want you to know that. You don't need a geography change. You need a heart change. We don't just need to get out of Egypt. We need Egypt to get out of us. And the exodus of Jesus speaks to that, accomplishes that, works at his death and his resurrection, means that there is a new heart for you. And for me, not just a geography change, not just that we kind of clean up the outside, but that our insides are made new. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25, God speaking about the exodus of Jesus, that Jesus was to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. He says this, I, God speaking, I will sprinkle clean water on you. So many of us, we've tried to sprinkle clean water on ourselves. We've tried to get our acts cleaned up, but here God is saying in Jesus' Exodus, I'm going to be the one to clean you up, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols, and I will give you, look at this, a new heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. In the exodus of Jesus, we receive a new heart and a new spirit. And that's amazing. And that's what we receive. That's what it it means. Think about the Israelites. They would have been in slavery for 400 years. 400 years of being abused, being mistreated, being taken advantage of. Just think about the buildup that that would make in your heart. You just lose hope. You'd be brokenhearted. How many of you know maybe you suffered abuse or you know people who have suffered abuse where it just kind of sticks with people a long time? It's like, how do you recover from that? And here we see part of the way that we recover is in Jesus' exodus. We receive healing. We receive a new heart. We receive restoration from what has been taken from us. Now, they needed more than just a new heart. They needed, uh, they needed a new relationship. And what I mean by this is they, if you read them, if you read their story, they get out of Egypt. And in Egypt, they're just like, oh man, I just, I just if we could just get here, right? And then they get there, and you know what they do? They say, oh man, if we could just go back to Egypt, I really like the food there. That's what they do. And all throughout their story, they're, God, would you just do this? And then he does it. And then 10 minutes later, they're dissatisfied. They're like, God, would you just do this? And he does it. 10 minutes later, they're dissatisfied. And we know that. We experience that. My son is working hard, saving up to get a Nintendo Switch. He's very excited about this, focused on it. And I know as his dad... I'm like, he's going to buy this, and 10 minutes later, it's going to be the next you know, new version comes out, and then it's just going to be on to that. We're all like that. We have this longing inside of us, as the song says, that we still haven't found what we're looking for, and so we just keep on looking and looking and trying different things. So we don't just need a new heart. We need a new relationship. We need something that would satisfy our soul's. And in the exodus of Jesus, what we receive, Moses' exodus couldn't do that. In the exodus of Jesus, what we receive is we receive a relationship with Jesus, not just a religion, not just a philosophical system, not just a, we're part of a church, but we receive a relationship with the living God. And that's what you and I are made for. That's what your soul is designed for. The reason that you're so hungry and can't be satisfied is because you're made for more than just the things of this world. You are made for a relationship with God. And Jesus, get this, Jesus, uh, God gave the Israelites bread over and over and over and over again, but they weren't satisfied. Jesus doesn't just give bread. He does bless in that way. But he is our bread. And when we feast on him, we are satisfied. John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus declaring, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So when you're thinking about the resurrection, you're thinking about a new heart And a new relationship with Jesus. He's not speaking here about a literal eating and then it's like this new diet where you don't ever have to eat again and you lose all this weight. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about feeding your hearts, feeding your souls, feeding your spirit on who he is. And if you think back to where you were, if you're in Christ, if you think back to where you were before you knew Jesus, maybe today you're not as far along as you hoped you would be. Imagine that's the case for all of us. But, but you think back to where you were and you think about what he's done when you've tasted the resurrection and the power thereof, when you've feasted on the bread of life and the way that your heart has changed and the way that you've found the one who satisfies your soul, it'll move you. And on Resurrection Sunday, we remember that and we rejoice in that. And if you're here today and you're exploring Christ, you would say, I don't know that I'm in Christ. I don't know that I'm a follower of Jesus. I've never made him my king. I've never made him my Lord. And you're considering, what would this mean? I want you to know that you, in Christ, receive a new heart. You receive healing for the things that you've been through and restoration, and your heart is tenderized and made new. The heart of stone becomes a heart of flesh, and you experience a living, vibrant relationship with Jesus, the bread of life the bread of life, the treasure of all treasures. But it doesn't stop there. You see, the Israelites in their exodus, they would have these times where they had these powerful encounters with God. And they would be like, okay, God, we want to follow you. We want to do what you're saying. We want to go the right way. And then not five minutes later, they would go out and do the exact opposite of what they had wanted to do. How many of us, know what that feels like. You think about the thing that happened on that work trip that you swore would never happen to you, but it happened to you. And you're like, okay, I just, I, I, I don't want to do that again. God, I want to obey you. Help me. You think about the person, the relationship you were in and the way you treated them. And it kind of haunts you a little bit. And you're like, oh, God, I don't want to treat people that way. You think about the thing that you're looking at on the internet that you hope no one finds out, and you're like, oh God, I don't want to do that anymore. But you just veer back like a gravitational pull pulls us back into sin. So we can have willing hearts, but not have the power to live it out. That's what happened in Moses' exodus. And what we see in the exodus of Jesus is he not only gives us a relationship with him, and not only means a new heart, but he gives us a new master. He brings us out from being mastered by sin, and he brings us under being mastered by the grace of God, the favor of God, and power from God to do the will of God, to not just hope to be clean and hope to do the right thing, but actually to have power to live from victory. In Christ's exodus, you don't fight for victory. You don't, oh man, I just, I hope I can make it. I have mean, I got an app that keeps me accountable and I've got this and I've got that. Those things are good things. Those things are good things. But our hope is not there. Because you're, you're trying to think, oh, if I could just hopefully hang on until I make it and then I won't mess up, right? That's not how we live. Jesus has made a way for you and I not to live hoping for a victory, but living from victory, the victory that Jesus accomplished on our behalf. You live a completely different way. Romans chapter 6, verse 14, the apostle Paul speaking about the resurrection of Jesus, trying to explain this is what it means. And he says this, for sin shall no longer be your master. There's Exodus terminology, slavery, master, sin will no longer be your master because you are not under the law. But what are you under? You are under grace. You have a new place to stand in the grace of God if you're in Christ. And if you're considering Christ today, the resurrection means that following Jesus is not just about doing some rules and trying to get yourself cleaned up and hopefully gritting your knuckles tight enough that you don't ever mess up again. No, 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 it's so much better than that. It's about the grace of God poured out for you and for me that gives us power to really change and to really live differently. There's some other oppressors that Jesus takes on that Moses' exodus didn't, didn't deal with. As the Israelites got out of Egypt... They continued to be dominated by something that dominates the thoughts of us all. We may try and put it off, but that we're afraid of. Death was a part of their community. People dying and dying, generations dying and dying and dying. And it was always with them. And it was always there. And it was always, if you've ever experienced the death of a loved one, uh, maybe a family member or a friend. It just seems like this is wrong. It just seems like it is wrong. It's just not right. But this is just the way our world is. I have, a, in college, I lived with a bunch of guys, and we had one roommate who was graduated, and he uh, worked nights, and so he slept days. So you would be in the house, and the life of the house would be going on. You'd be doing all the stuff, you'd be having people over, whatnot, And then every so often, you'd be like, oh, I forgot he lives here. Because he'd just be asleep most of the day, right? You would never see him very much. But then he'd come out, and you'd be like, oh, yeah, you live in the back room. I forgot about you. That's how most of us are with death. We just try and avoid it. Just try and keep moving, stay busy, don't really think about that, don't drive by the cemetery, don't don't do any of those things, right? Because we're afraid of death. And what I want you to see is in Jesus' exodus, he takes on death. And he takes on the one with the power of death that is the devil Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 since therefore the children share in flesh and blood he himself partook of the same things Jesus fully God became fully man he's fully God and fully man and he did this that through death through his own death he might destroy the one who has the power of death that is the devil and free those there's there's Exodus terms Free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Jesus, in his death and his resurrection, has defeated the devil and has defeated death. Jesus does not just repurpose death and kind of now it's a new thing. No, the Bible is very clear. He defeats death and he fills death with himself. You know why death is so offensive to us? It's because we're not made for it. You're made for life. So death is an offense. It's like, this is not right. And Christ has come and he has defeated death in the resurrection. Early Christians would gather before their baptisms in tombs. And they would say the Apostles' Creed. And they would talk about the resurrection from the dead and the life everlasting. And they would do that to remind themselves that in Christ they had overcome death, that death was no longer the final word. And if you're in Christ, what I want you to know is that death is not the final word over your life and that you don't need to live in fear of death because you have something that awaits you beyond the grave. You have Jesus waiting for you. And if you're considering Christ, what I want you to know, if you've been dominated by the fear of death, you just tried to keep moving and not really address it. I want you to know there's a way to be delivered from your fear and a way for death not to be the end. But in Christ, there's new life. That's what the resurrection means. I want to read this quote as we close from G.K. Chesterton. This sums up all that I've been sharing with you. On the third day, the friends of Christ coming at daybreak to the place found the grave empty and the stone rolled away. Of course he's talking about as the as the friends of Jesus go to look for him on the third day, go to his tomb and they find that the tomb, the stone has been rolled away. He's talking about that scene. And then he says, "In varying ways they realized the new wonder. The world had died in the night. What they were looking at was the first day of a new creation." with a new heaven and a new earth. And in a semblance of a gardener, God walked again in the garden. Think Garden of Eden. God is imaged as a gardener. But here Jesus appears, and they've him to be a gardener. This time, God doesn't walk in the cool of the evening, but in the dawn of the day. The resurrection means a new creation. That's why the scriptures say that when we're in Christ, we are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. In Christ's resurrection, he is making all things new. The way that early Christians articulated this and and reminded themselves of this is that they did not look at resurrection day as the seventh day of the week or the first day of the week. They considered it the eighth day of the week. We're an eighth day people. And what that meant by that was uh, creation, you read in Genesis, the account that the world was created in seven days. And whether you take that literally or metaphorically, we can talk about that some other time, but the big idea is that God created it and he created our world to work on a rhythm. And there's days and there's nights and there's weeks and there's months and there's years, so on and so forth. History goes on. That's why I can feel a little bit like we live in the movie Groundhog's Day where it's like, oh, Monday again. Oh, Tuesday Again, anybody felt that? I felt that, right? You're on Groundhog's Day. Just goes on and on and on. And in the Ecclesiastes, the writer says that there's nothing new under the sun, right? It just kind of keeps on going. Day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, day seven, and right back. People have tried to change the number of days in the week to like 10, and it didn't work. It's interesting. Our world just works on a seven-day deal. But what Christians said happened in Jesus was an eighth day, the eighth day of creation, the eighth day of new creation. It's a new creation that's happening. This was so meaningful to them that when they were baptized, they would be baptized in baptismals that were shaped like an octagon, like eight sides, to remind themselves that in Christ, they were a part of his resurrection, they were a part of his exodus, they were a part of his new creation. And that's what we get to celebrate today. That's why we say Resurrection Sunday is the first day of a new creation. I want to invite you to stand. As we close, we are going to celebrate communion together. We're going to remember Jesus' body, broken for you and me as blood poured out for us and the new life, the exodus that that brings to all of us. And if you're here today and you would say, you know, I don't know Jesus. I don't know that I would call myself a follower of Jesus and I need a relationship with him. I need a new heart. I need power to live God in a godly way. I need those things. I need victory over the fear of death. I wanna give you an opportunity here in a moment to receive Christ and to partake of the resurrection and what it means for you. And if you're here today and it's just, man, I've been a long time away. Maybe you received Christ as a little kid, so often the case in Dallas, and then life just you went in another direction. And you're trying to make your way back. And you've come today, and you're trying to turn over a new leaf. I want you to know that God is not waiting for you just to get your act clean, and then it's gonna be good again. But he is running down the road pursuing you. And his grace is here for you today. You're loved in this place, and there's new life and new hope in a community that will walk with you as you experience that. So if that's you, I'd like to ask everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes for a moment. If that's you, if you're either like, man, I need Jesus. I need Jesus to be the King and Lord of my life, or I just need to come back to him. I just want to invite you to raise your hand for a moment, and I want to pray with you. We're not going to put your name on a a billboard or call you up on stage, but just give you an opportunity today to say, Jesus, I'm in. I need you. All right, if everyone would join with me with the people that have their hands raised up in this prayer. Jesus, you are the resurrected King. Thank you that you're the bread of life. Thank you that you give me a new heart. You put a new spirit in me. You give me power to walk with you in victory over the grave. I receive you today, and I want to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The officiants will be up here to distribute communion, and you can come as you're ready. The worship team will lead us in song. Come forward, take of the bread and the cup, return to your seat, and when it seems right to you, pray and just enjoy the resurrection of Jesus and all that it means.
1: His ransom, his grace. While I was a slave to sin, Jesus died for me. Yes, he Sing this with me. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say for me not against me I am who you say I am come on declare I am chosen not forsaken I am who you say